This is the Steve Zabin Show. You don't know what the hell you're doing! On the Team 980 and theteam980.com. What the hell is he doing? Here he is, the Zabe. If you only take two words out of the entire weekend, I think those two words would be murder hornet. you got to be kidding me. Happy Monday, everybody, May 4th, 2020. And let me tell you, an avalanche of good things, interesting things to talk about. When I say good things, I don't necessarily mean literally good things. I just I look at it from a talk show host's eye and say, okay, what can I make a meal out of? And it's been lean, obviously. Today, though, my God. And when I say good things, obviously, it's a bad thing that Don Shula has passed away. But it will be a good thing to measure Don Shula's overall footprint on the game of professional football. Because if he's not on the Mount Rushmore, he's up there. He is iconic. And uh, passed away today at the age of, what was it, Scott? 90, I believe? 90, on yes, the sir. number? 90. 90. So we got that. We got uh, the NFL schedule release due for quote later this week. They have not put an actual date on it. You know how they, I guess they don't do this, do they, typically? They make us sit on pins and needles. No, right? they, they do they it. well in advance. But I, I think in years past, we only get a couple days warning. Yes. And then they would go right to the show, Zabe. So they would have the, you know, oh, d- hey, it's uh, it's coming out uh, Thursday night, and there's that reveal program. I don't know what they're going to be doing these days, but they do have enough people they, with cameras at home. They better do a reveal program. My God. Uh, why did the the date May 9 stick in my head? Because May 9th would be Saturday. Yeah. So we don't want that. That makes no sense. This is a Thursday deal. This meal and believe me, it's a delicious meal. It's a meal of hope and anticipation. It's got to be served on Thursdays so we can eat it fully on Friday to close out the week. If the NFL does anything other than that, well, then I'd want to be in line to slap them. Boo. I think the reports are something like, and I saw this on SI.com over the weekend, NFL regular season opener still will be set for September 10th. Super Bowl still scheduled for Feb 7. The league is expected to release its schedule by May 9th. But like you said, that's next Bye. Saturday. So the assumption Bye. is we'll get Thursday or Friday. Point. Yeah, exactly. I bet the next 48 hours they tell us when, and then we'll get all juiced up for it. Um, the Rona did claim the International Series, so there's that. Consider me one of the most dry-eyed observers of that <laughs> development. I'm like, I have never liked the outsourcing of these valuable, precious NFL games to Europe. I know it's a cash cow for them. I know it's a way for them to essentially get a pseudo, a shadow franchise in another country without making anybody actually, you know, live there. (laughs) You just play a full slate of sampler games. Hell, some of us fans wouldn't mind a sampler platter of teams and games coming to our city here in America, given how bad... The local team has been for so long. I'm not saying I'm there yet, but I'm just saying as a concept. So they're going to keep it simple, and that would be a small wrinkle and a small casualty of the 2020 schedule. But it's something that we're going to look forward to, and, of course, we're going to dig into it. But other than that, I mean, the Mitch Trubisky fifth-year option is endlessly fascinating. Andy Dalton to Dallas is probably not a big deal, but people are trying to fluff it up into one. 
Friday afternoon, the U.S. women's national team got absolutely slide-tackled in federal court, and they are still stung by it, but I have some thoughts on it. The Alex Smith documentary was sensational. We've got Stefania Bell today at 5 o'clock. I can't wait to talk to her about it. Uh, The whole thing was brilliant beyond all comprehension. And we've got fight week because the UFC is back, so I'm going to give full run and attention to those sports that are first to come back. And like you said, the Korean Baseball League will be back on ESPN starting at 1 a.m. if you're jonesing for stuff. And then you had the virtual Kentucky Derby on Saturday, which was unbelievable. How'd they get it to look so good? Now, I was looking at it on a phone, and I'd had a couple of bourbons at the time with my brother uh, who turned 54, Flim, and I said, I- is this a real horse race here? What the hell's going on? But they did a really nice job, and of course, Secretariat won. But they made it look like, oh, Secretariat's not going to win this thing. It's in fourth place. What's going on here? Mm -hmm. I just wish the announcer had said, and down the stretch they come! Did not get that in the digital pseudo replay. Someday, and I hope to be alive for it, we will see sophisticated digital recreations of what it would look like if Jordan in his prime met LeBron in his prime and the two of them went head-to-head with the best teams of their representative eras. Like the big three with the Heat, the Heatles, versus, say, the 92 Bulls. Someday we'll be able to create that. The graphics will be good enough. The artificial intelligence and the programming will be good enough that we'll be able to look at it and unless you're up really close to the TV, you won't be able to tell the difference. I'm convinced of that. All right, of course, the Jordan documentary provided us with a absolute treasure trove of things to dig into as well. So, without further ado, the text line is open, 330-99-ZABE. That's how you reach me directly. You don't have to put your dirty laundry out on the Internet. It's a more personal reach out to me. I do nothing with your phone number. All I do is I have a keyboard here, and through this... Uh, google voice interface i can text you back if you have a specific question i'm not a help desk though so let's not abuse it but a little bit more of a personal direct relationship with yours truly the host of this show we are very happy to be on in richmond virginia uh we are happy but also it comes at the expense of some local guys who did nothing wrong and did not deserve the axe but that's the way it goes in this business i've been i've been on both sides of it and i hate it Uh, but it is what it is, so we will try to just give you our best every day, give you something good to listen to down there on 99.5 FM and 102.7 FM on ESPN Richmond. And uh, I did send a tweet out, so go ahead and uh, reach out to me and say, oh, hey, you're back. We used to be on in the mornings there uh, on a different station back Mm -hmm. in the day for Fox Sports and Sporting News and Yahoo and then SB Nation and then dot-com sports talk thing, the jig and whatever <laughs> came there. So are you afraid of the murder hornet? Yes. Is it yes, overhyped? <laughs> they no. found one, apparently, in the States. They're big that, over that, in Asia. Just one? Well, I don't know. Maybe they found more than one. Did you see the YouTube guy whose whole channel is to get stung and bit yeah. by things that really hurt? That could almost kill you, and he does it. He, he got himself bit by the murder hornet. The murder hornet is a meat-eating hornet about five times the size, at least, of a regular hornet. And it doesn't even sting you. It 
bites you with its razor-sharp mandibles. Mandible. Mandelbaum. 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 Right. Jaw. Exactly. I hope they don't become prevalent over here. But as a young boy who would obsess about news reports in the 70s and 80s about the so-called killer bees or Africanized honeybees, the kind of bees that were the subject of movies like The Swarm and what was the other movie? One of the movies was they had to lure the bees into the Houston Astrodome and then turn the air conditioning way up so it basically froze the bees. That was the only way they could kill this killer swarm. I used to obsess about this. Like, we got reports of them coming up. They're going to be in America. Oh, my God. That's what you worry about as a kid. You didn't worry about viral pandemics. Is that what it is? I believe that's the case. And did they take him into the Astrodome to to kill him? I seem to recall that was the main plot twist at the end. Hopefully Uh, the murder hornet doesn't turn out to New Orleans, apparently. So, yes, Savage Bees. Let's go with it. Any other B horror movies, let us know. 330-99, Zabe. Before I get to our first guest of the day, David Aldridge is going to swing back in again. We uh, talked to him about two weeks ago when the Jordan docuseries began. It's time for an update because I thought he had some good comments last night about just how hard it was to be Michael Jordan at the peak of it. And kind of when he snapped and the whole thing with the gambling, which was pretty much episode six last night. But before we get to uh, David... Our poll question of the day is this. What's the best one-word description of the Alex Smith documentary on E60? Riveting, heartbreaking, queasyifying. It's not a word. Yeah, it is. Just made it up. Or inspirational. It's unfair because the documentary was all four of those things, but you got to pick one. So currently, inspirational is edging out heartbreaking. Uh, for one, two, and it's all pretty evenly uh, set right there. So go ahead and vote at Team980 or at my Twitter feed, at Zabe Charlie. Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. All right, first quick break of the show coming up. We'll have David Aldridge. You saw him last night on the ESPN documentary, The Last Dance. We'll talk about how hard it was to be, quote, like Mike. Now back to the Steve Zabin Show on the Team 980 and 95.9 FM. One of the things that struck me last night, as it has for the entire documentary, was just the absurd overcoverage of every little thing Michael Jordan did at his peak of celebrity, including the first time around and the second time around. Just the number of handheld video cam guys like, oh my God, did you get the footage of Jordan walking through the hall? No, I missed it. Damn you. Jones, we sent you out there to get it. What the hell happened? There was the one picture last night of Jordan. It was from straight down, probably from a balcony or something. And he was surrounded by just a phalanx of reporters, microphones, tape recorders, cameras. And you just said to yourself, my God. It's like, (laughs) I'm not saying the coverage is different now. It's just a little bit more organized. Back then, it was a lot different. David Aldridge joins us now. From The Athletic, you've got a piece up about how hard it was to be Mike at the peak. It's good to check back in again. David, how are you doing today? Oh, Steve, I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me. Life in a Fishbowl, The Last Dance, and how fame ricocheted against Michael Jordan. It's at theathletic.com right now, The Athletic DC. Subscribe and uh, enjoy the good local and national journalism. I, uh, I still respect Jordan immensely, David, for how he handled it. 
I know that the episode six kind of chronicled when things cracked a bit for him, but for the most part, I'm still in awe that he was as good as he was to the media and to kids and to fans while going through that day after day. What was your feelings about the episode where it showed that the, the he was cracking a little bit and he was trying to figure out how to handle that? Yeah, I mean, I think they did a, a fairly good job of, of detailing kind of that gradual kind of like erosion of his uh, trust in the media and his willingness to engage with the media. It just got so big, Steve, to your point at the beginning. There was just there was just so much media around him in 92 and 93. Um, you know, he had been obviously the most the most popular player in the league, maybe along with Magic, for a while. And he had always had a lot of media around. But after they won the first title, or, or, and certainly after the Olympics, um, it just got so big. And it was, you know, there were people, that's when you started to notice, where, where are you from again? We're from China. Where are you from? Oh, we're from Pakistan. <laughs> you know, and it was right. every day, you know, like... You know, and it was, that's when you started to notice that there were people from all over the world coming to the state to, to watch the Bulls play. And it got, it just got so big. You just could not get, you couldn't get close to him. That's when you started, well, I'm going to have to get, I'm going to have to take next to this monitor because this is as close as I can get to what we're right. today. You that's... know, it's got, a, it got so big and. Yeah, and it was the same questions over and over again. And certainly after the, the Atlantic City thing came, that was kind of a, a breaking point, I think, for him. Um, you know, because if you really boil it down to it was man gets in a car, goes to Atlantic City and gambles, goes back home. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, well, that's the thing. Like, was was the Atlantic City thing blown out of perspective by the media or was there a legitimate story there that they captured? I mean, the one thing that I took on as a discrepancy, the report said 2.30 he was gambling. He said he was home by 12.30. To right. me, that would make a difference. Like, 2.30, you're starting to push it into, are you really going to get enough rest? Yeah. Well, I would say was it- you could make that. I think you could, yes, you certainly later is not better, right? Nothing good happens after midnight is the old adage, right? So um, that, there's no question that the later you go in the night, the, the more scrutiny you're going to get. Um, but, again, we're talking about play, we're not talking about a noon tip here. You know what I mean? This is, this is not the old days where they play playoff games at noon Eastern. You know, I mean, this is 9 o'clock prime time. Um, you know, even if he's out till 2.33 in the morning, like, is – are the Bulls going to not win if he, if he doesn't go to shoot around? You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, um, I think, so to me, it was blown out of proportion. It would have been different if Jordan, A, was drunk, B, got behind the wheel of a car, C, tried to drive back 110 miles drunk and in a car. That's a whole different story, right? <laughs> but that's not what was happening. It was guy, you know, gets in a limo and, and does what guys, what people do in Atlantic City. And goes back home. You know, like there was no there what was no what was, was no, I know what happened. You know, like, I know by today's standards, where gambling is much more accepted, it just seems so quaint and prude almost. Yeah. But what was the league, David? Yeah. What was the league, and what was Stern so concerned about? You know, that's a great question, Steve. That's a very good point, and I hadn't thought of I hadn't thought about that. You make a good point that today gambling is just kind of accepted 
you know, it's 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 uh, outside of the closet now. But back in those days, you know, that was like the absolute worst thing that any league could contemplate was any whiff of gambling being around its players, and certainly the, the biggest player in the league and the biggest player in sports at the time, I would argue. Um, to have any connection with gambling was viewed as taboo. And so that's a very good point that it was just thought of so differently. I remember talking to David Stern for years and the abject horror. They were they would file briefs that were against, you know, scratch-off lottery tickets in states. I mean, seriously, they would say this is a slippery slope and you let people start gambling on, on lottery tickets. And what are they going to gamble on next? And, and they were serious about that. And so right. that is very much part of the kind of, I think, panic that the league had and maybe fueled a lot of the reaction that, that the media and the public had because at the time, gambling was just viewed as such anathema, with such anathema by so many people that, you know, a guy saying, yeah, I should go gamble was something that they just could not countenance at all. David Aldridge, The Athletic, D.C., nice enough to join us here on The Zabe Show, at David Aldridge, D.C. David, part five starts off with In Loving Memory of Kobe, and you get the 98 star game as a backdrop in New York City, and you see MJ talking about, quote, that little Laker boy. But then he takes him on just sort of as this older brother mentor role. It's the whole... The whole episode was this fascinating, the whole two episodes were this fascinating dichotomy of him mentoring Kobe from afar, but also the same guy who would murder Murley and Kukoc on the floor only because they were Jerry Krause's, uh, they, they, you know, they, he liked them. It's, it's, he's mm-hmm. such an interesting personality. Well, certainly, you know, anything that was connected by proxy to Jerry Krause was going to be someone that, that Michael was going to go after and go at. Um, so Tony, through no fault of his own, certainly fell and was in the middle of that uh, episodic kind of soap opera that that, that, that franchise had at the time. Um, you know, it's funny. I was I did a, a web thing with a webinar with Isaiah Thomas and Patrick Ewing yesterday and Dominique Wilkins, and I was. You know, Isaiah took great exception to the to the notion that that people hated each other back in in those days, and you know he was like, well, you know, we competed, we were great competitors, but when the game was over, we hung out with you know we hung out with each other all the summer, and we you know we would go to each other's events and 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 play golf with each other, and that's all true. And then what's the first thing that you see in in the show the other night? It's Patrick saying, "Yeah, we hated the we hated the Bulls." You know, like, and so I don't know what you know. What do you what do you take from that? So I I certainly feel like um, there was a great sense of uh, competition. I think from from Michael toward Kobe in the sense that he knew Kobe get kind of patterned himself after Michael and wanted to be the the next Jordan and really was the first guy because there have been so many next Jordans. You know, Harold Miner was the next Jordan. Grant Hill was the next Jordan. You know, J.R. Ryder was the next Jordan. Everybody was the next Jordan. You know, nobody turned out to be the next Jordan. But Kobe was the first guy that really was like, you know, this guy's really pretty good. And so I think there was certainly a sense of competition that I'm going to slap my little brother around. But to your point, there was also a sense of, hey, you know, I'm here as a resource to help you out, you know, if you need Mm-hmm. guidance on, on you know, how to train and some of the other things, learning about the league, I'll be happy to help you out because I understand how hard this league is. 
And there, so, so both of those things, as, as Jordan and Isaiah pointed out, can be true, that you want to kill the guy on the floor, but then when the game's over, you want to help him. More along the dream team, since you mentioned Isaiah. Uh, Mr. Wilbon, I believe, it was it said there was more to it. Isaiah had stuff with Scotty. Isaiah had stuff with Magic. Isaiah had stuff with Larry. But MJ last night said, well, if you want to attribute it to me, then, then go ahead. Whatever Rod Thorne said, whatever you've read, whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. But Michael mm-hmm. says that there's still more to it. What Will we ever come to know what the more to it is, David? No, just what you said. Carl Malone, too. Carl didn't like him either. You know, I mean, so, so I mean, there was a lot of people that, that, that were, you know, there was the whole thing about Carl Malone scoring all those points, and then Isaiah took it out on Stockton and scored like 40 on Stockton, and then Carl elbowed Isaiah in the head. And it was just, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on back in, in, those, in that year, year and a half period. Um, so there were a lot of players, and I, you know, to defend Isaiah a little bit, it's because the Pistons were really damn good right at that yep. point, you know, and a lot of people didn't like them because they were the best team in the league. So um, until the Bulls finally beat him in '91, so there was a lot of kind of animosity going on. I think it wasn't just it wasn't just Jordan. That's true. But having said that, if Michael Jordan had given his blessing, Isaiah Thomas would have been on the Olympic team. Period. Simple right. as that. You know, if he had said, "Yeah, I can play with him." You know, what would happen? Because everybody knew Isaiah should have been on the team. And and it was about it wasn't about talent. It was about do we wanna be do we wanna hang out with each other for six weeks? You know, starting in San Diego and then going to Portland and then going to Monte Carlo and then going to Spain for the Olympics. But it was six weeks of being together. And so that was the question. You know, you could have picked the next twelve guys and they would have won the gold medal that year. So it wasn't about the talent. It was about do yeah. we want to hang out with each other for six weeks? And more people than Jordan were like, eh, I don't really, not really, not with it. And so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just Jordan, but Jordan certainly could have said, hey, let's get him. He belongs on this team. He should be on the team. And it would have happened. And it didn't happen. I, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So. Uh, Exit question. We thank you for your time today, uh, David. I, I think the dream team was one of the great things in sports because it was fun to see a comically overbuilt super team just once in a real competition. B, we had owed it to the world for some of the robberies, including the 72 Olympics uh, back in the day. And C, it helped spread the seed of basketball passion around the world that has helped produce some incredible global players that are now playing in the NBA. Do you agree with that, or was the dream team maybe a bit too much, and was it perhaps a bit of ugly Americanism when it's all said and done? No, I, I tend to agree with with what you said, Steve. I mean, I think that um, you know certainly, and what you know, seventy two was was certainly you know uh, you know a, a very clear kind of if you want to say robbery, fine, but certainly uh, you know just a, a very odd way to end the cha- you know a gold medal game yeah. and it just didn't make any sense the way it ended um but then you add to that 88 when when Sabonis when Sabonis was healthy and young you know right. just kicked our butts you know the the college yeah we butts. sent a college team over there that didn't have enough shooters and whoops right. uh, it was yeah. a bad deal so so that that but i mean clearly the 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 dream team got a lot of european kids with nba stars in their eyes 
No, no, no question. And that's and that's where I think the the legacy of that team is not that it you know won by an average of forty one points a game or whatever it was. Because clearly they you know there was no competition back then. Right. Um, um, but it was that that was what a young Dirk Nowitzki watched or a young Paul Cal Gasol watched and said, "Wow, that's what I want to have. That's how I have to play. That's how good I have to be to play in the NBA." And it was made clear by watching them. That's what we're going to have to do. So we're going to have to get better coaching, better training. We're going to have to do more work. And I think they did, you know. And so you saw, you know, Spain and Argentina and other great programs around the world start to really understand that this is what you're going to have to do um, if you want to be as good as the NBA guys. And all of those clinics that Hubie Brown and all those coaches did year after year overseas, and the coaching that that, that that spawned and the development mm-hmm. for the young players that came up after that created what you have now, which is a league that is filled with international mm-hmm. talent from around the world, you know, and there, it, it, and the dream team was the beginning of that. There's no question about that. Absolutely. All right. Very good. Thanks for your time. As always, David, we'll read your stuff at the athletic DC and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it guys. There you go. Thanks, uh, David Aldridge, uh, who was in the documentary last night and uh, makes some good points there, to be sure. Poor Tony Kukoc. Somebody, <laughs> somebody said if Jerry Krause said, boy, I like, I like the sun, Jordan would then conspire to blow up the sun. <laughs> what? Yes. You do? <laughs> if if uh, Jerry Krause said, boy, I love Slurpees, Jordan would rent a cement truck and drive it right into the middle of a 7-Eleven. That's the way he motivated himself. Poor Clyde Drexler. Drexler never did nothing to Jordan. Never said anything. And Jordan's like, yeah, man. I, I mean, he wasn't. I mean, he was a threat, but I mean, he wasn't like me. I was pissed off. <laughs> and he just proceeds to <laughs> annihilate him. Something, something to be said about that. We got more uh, uh, to talk about with the documentary. Uh, got got a text. Uh, send it in. 330-99-ZABE. Coming up, DMV Sports Desk. With Scott Lynn, you're listening to the Steve Zabin Show on the Team 980 and now in Richmond as well on 99.5 FM and 102.7 FM ESPN Richmond. Now back to the Steve Zabin Show on the Team 980 and 95.9 FM. People don't believe this, but it's true, all of it. November 18. 1985, Joe Theismann. November 18, 2018, Alex Smith. Injury, broken right tibia and fibula. Alex Smith, broken right tibia and fibula. Team Redskins, location Washington, D.C., yard line 39. Final score of the game, 23-21. Caused in part by three-time Defensive Player of the Year, Lawrence Taylor. Caused by three-time Defensive Player of the Year, J.J. Watt. Not exactly caused by, but both were in on the play. And the left tackle in both games, Joe Jacoby was off the field due to injury, and Trent Williams is off the field due to injury. It's it's all true. It's kind of crazy. And I'm now proud to welcome on the quarterback of my youth, Joe Theismann, to talk about the special on Friday night. Joey T., good afternoon, sir. How'd you like the documentary on Friday? Uh, first of all, Steve, it's good to catch up with you, and I send my best out to everybody out there. And I want to thank all of our frontline uh, first responders and Nurses and doctors and everybody out there helping to get us through this thing. Thank you. Amen. Um, I thought it was incredible. I, I really thought it was uh, um, it was so well done. Um, 
it was it presented, I think, the severity of the situation, and we're all very thrilled that you know Alex got through it with limb and and alive and everything else. I thought Elizabeth, his wife, was incredible uh, as mm-hmm. a rock going through, but I. Our, our breaks were similar in so much that both of us had a spiral fracture of the tibia and the fibula, and the tibia came through. I was fortunate enough, um, the antibiotics that they gave me, and I wondered why I was in the hospital as long as I was, and they really were just bombarding my body with antibiotics to handle any infection. I did not wind up with an infection. Alex wound up with four different type of ones, one being, being flesh-eating that just moved through his body so rapidly. Mm-hmm. And what you saw in that special was the graphic nature of what they had to do, first of all, to save his life, then to save his leg, and then what he went through to, uh, to get himself back to a place where I'd have given him a 5% chance of playing football, maybe, uh, to where yeah. I think that's closer to 80% now, say. I really yeah. do. 80%. Interesting. 80%. From what I could tell, tell, Joe, the biggest challenge is going to be he has that drop toe on the injured leg because of the loss of the front muscle in that leg, and that's very critical, and it's probably the hardest thing to get back to where it needs to be. What do you think is the last hurdle for him if he really wants to play? Well, the last hurdle is this, and and, uh, we've talked a little bit about it. It's when you drop back and plant your foot, there's enough stability in it to be able to drive the ball. When I, I lost power in my right leg. Now, I don't know to what extent. I did not have a rod put in my leg. I'm, my leg is a half inch shorter. And it's affected my knee and my hip and my back in time. Um, I do wear an orthotic to try and compensate for it. But the throwing mechanism is not just your arm. I think people look at a quarterback and say, oh, look at his arm. It's, it's the drive off your right leg. It's the rotation of your shoulders and your hips, and it's the arm. The arm is like a catapult, but it needs to have all that foundation beneath it to be able to generate the power you need. When I got hurt, I lost about 10 15% of that power in my leg. It had to be made up somewhere else. It was in my arm, and I wound up with soreness in places I didn't have before. Like I said, Alex probably has the full length back. Um, if he drops back, I think he'd be fine. If he moves to his right, he's fine. It's when he rolls out to his left. If he can move to his left in a fluid nature without looking like it's a drop step going that way, then I would say he'd be able to do everything he needs to do. Uh, it's going to be that movement, I think, that'll be critical to being able to determine whether or not he'll be able to come out on the football field and play again. Is it worth doing, though, all things considered? You played, he plays, we can't understand it as mere mortals sitting on the couch, Joe. Is that worth it? There's only one person who can answer that question. Neither you nor I nor anybody listening out there can answer it. It's it's Alex's question to answer. And and I just and, and this I I've, I've got inundated with tweets ever since it came out and I've commented on it and everybody says oh he should retire it's you know he may get hurt and all that kind of stuff people don't know who we are and I right. think the most important thing that people can do is respect us for the decision that we make with our lives going forward 
he's he, he's not one to give up. Now, he's worked so hard, so the quality of his life with his family and his kids going forward should be great. There shouldn't be any more complications, mm-hmm. God willing. So he mm-hmm. should be able to do all those things that he wants to do in, in quote-unquote, what I call normal life, because we're not normal. Let's face right. it. You know, it's a different world we, we live in, we play in. It's it's a different animal that plays this game. And I think everybody has to sort of take a step back and say, maybe you wouldn't do it. Maybe you would retire. Maybe you wouldn't want to go through all this. But you're not Alex, and you're not right. Joe. And, and I would think, you, like I said, going through what would he you have through, gone? Would you have gone back out forward. there? Would you have gone back out there, Joe, if the medicals had permitted it? I wanted to, Absolutely. Matter of fact, I, you know, it was really interesting. And, and Joe Gibbs and I had this conversation, and, and Coach is just an incredible man. And so we had this conversation regarding me after um, I, I started to move around about I had a I basically had a retry out in April of, of 86, and I just couldn't move. Now, I thought I was doing pretty well, and Bubba Tyre, our trainer, they all went into the locker room, and Bubba said, I said, hey, I, I'm not finished with my workout. He said, oh, yes, you are, Joe. I couldn't move. I mean, again, it was November to April, so it was really six months, not a year and a half like Alex has gone through. Of course, like I say, the severity of his. And, and I, I said, to, you know, our coach said to me, he said, Joe, look, he said, you've done everything you can do in this game. You've had a terrific career. We've won a lot of games together. You, you played a long time. You economically have done very well. Um you, you don't you don't need to come back. And I said, Joe, you don't understand me. I need to. This has nothing to do with economics. It has nothing to do with anything except the fact that I need to try and get back and play for me. I need to do it for me. So, yes, the answer to your question is I wanted to come back. And two years after my injury, you know, I was throwing defensive drills for a lot of teams, for the Browns, for the Chargers, uh, for the Redskins. I'd go out, you know, and throw scout team. I'd warm up with guys. Uh, Seattle, I did it. And um, it took me about two years to really get to a point where I could move around. And I still, in my right leg, where the break came through, I have it's sensitive. Uh, I have no feeling in the arch on the left side of my foot. Um, fortunately, like I said, they didn't have to take the muscles out like they did with Alex. I mean, I, that, was to me, that to me was when, you, when they took the bandage off the first time and saw the infection mm-hmm. – it, it, mm-hmm. I think every if I gasped and I knew it was coming because I've been around them since the injury for a year and a half and, and just, you know, anything, yeah. you know, you want to support them. I mean, the doctors and the therapists, they take care of them physically. It's the yeah. mental thing that you go through. And what about, I, you know, I'm what about what like about it. the what about the half eaten chicken wing photo? That was the one that floored me because they didn't tell me that one was coming. Oh, boy. No, no, that yeah. was I mean, it's. uh you know, and it, it just, to me, I hope everybody looks at it this way and it says it just has to give you so much respect for who the man is and how important this is to him. And that's why I say don't judge what Alex wants to do or what I say based upon what you might do because we're, we're wired different. That's all. I mean, Alex used to carry rocks underwater to train, for goodness sake. He's Aquaman. So, I mean, this is, for us, something coming back from injury like this, 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 it's a hurdle, but it's not one. It's a mountain, but it's not one that we don't feel like we can climb. 
Joe Theismann, NFL MVP, Super Bowl champ at Theismann 7 is where you can find him on Twitter. Joe, I talked to you on B. Mitch's show ahead of the program running on Friday night and uh, had so many questions now that we've all seen it. When Alex sought your advice in the early going, have you had you along the rehab road adjusted that advice, sort of depending on where he is in the process? He, You know, he really didn't seek my advice. It was more one of two guys having a conversation that's shared a similar situation. Um, we've talked about it. We've talked about his the, the road he's making, the, the progress that he's on, the road he's on and the progress that he's made. Um, you know, I just, I believed, I just had great doubts that he would be able to come back. And I don't anymore. Because where the, where the Project 11 ended is not where Alex is today. I think Alex is much further ahead with That's his right. rehabilitation it than where probably than where ended what five months ago end. maybe yeah i mean we this is he's so much further ahead um and and every every month is an advantage like i said there's only a couple of questions that i have i think his arm will be fine uh the power in the arm should come back nobody's going to work harder to get it and, and those were the things we talked about is you know sort of you know you can expect this probably going forward or right. as you start to move around, you may experience that. These were things that I went through. Um, you know, some of them, some of them he didn't. Some he did. But if he does play, it almost certainly will not be for us, will it? Why not? Or will? Or well, well he's I, got a three, he's got, there's he's this guy. There's this guy, Dwayne Haskins. He's running around in your number oh. right now, Joe. I'm not. You're sure you're oh. aware of that? Save. <laughs> Jeez, let me see. What shell did I crawl out from under, right? No, or the rock I crawled out. No, here, here's no. the situation. So here's, he could play think, for us, but that would necessitate a pause at some point in the Haskins era. And what's wrong with that? I mean, uh, Patrick Mahomes <laughs> sat behind Alex. For, I mean, Dwayne got a sampling of professional football last year. If if And there will be competition. That's the other thing. Is it, this isn't Alex's job is just to walk out. The Redskins would have to make an economic decision as well. And then you have Kyle Allen there, who, yeah. who really is familiar with the system. You basically have three quarterbacks, and we signed one late too. But, I mean, you've got those three. And in Dwayne's case, Dwayne, the way I foresee, if Alex could play, Dwayne can't get down or discouraged. I mean, you can play that position, quarterback position, barring major injury for 12, 15 years, or sometimes 20. So this would be, and you put it so well, Sabe, this would be a pause. But the great right. thing was is Dwayne, Dwayne had a chance to bite the apple. He had a chance to, to understand the preparation, the, the mental part of it, the physical part of it, the emotional part of the game. He had a chance to sample it. So did Kyle. Matter of fact, I think both of them, in late November, started about the same time, um, and they, they yeah. both did it. And, and, and here it is, and you got a well, new coach, so you know there's going to be competition. Well, it'll 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 be interesting uh, in a couple of months if Alex keeps on making progress and he's moving around. Okay, before I let you go, Joe, I got to get your thoughts on Don Shula. He actually drafted you in the fourth round, and yes. you had a chance to play for him, but instead you went to the CFL. What are your thoughts on Shula, who passed away at ninety today? I say by very few regrets about the game. The one thing I do look back on and sort of wish I could have done was play for Coach Shula in hindsight. 
Um, he's the kind of coach I'd love to have played for. He's a, he's a tough guy, uh, very disciplined, very set in his ways. Um, you know, like Coach Gibbs was. Coach Gibbs was set. People don't realize it, he was, it was Joe's way. It was his way. Uh, coach Belichick like that now. Um, you know, when he tra- – actually, George Allen traded a number one – I became a number one pick in 1974. The Redskins gave up their first-round pick for my rights. And then what people don't realize is in 1971, when I did not join the Dolphins, they uh, Don Shula went and got Earl Morrill from Baltimore. Earl Morrill in 1972, the undefeated season, started nine of the 14 games, went 9-0. and So if you really want to uh, hypothesize a little bit, um, by me not going to the Miami Dolphins and going to the Toronto Argonauts, the Dolphins were able to get Earl Morrill, who led them to – two-thirds of their undefeated season. So to all the Miami fans, you're welcome. (laughs) There you go. Joe Theismann, (laughs) always a pleasure. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, there you go. Joe Theismann, uh, the quarterback of my youth, the man who still holds the longest string of consecutive starts under center for the Washington Redskins. Now, it's the news that matters to Zabe. Step right up! Step right up! Oh, it's the subject matter I'm sure you're familiar with. Whether it matters to you or not. All that matters is power. This is the Daily Zabe. Brace yourselves, America, for some potential mind-blowing news. On the Team 980 and the Team980.com. Daily Zay brought to you by Healthnetics. Get yours today and save 20% by using promo code TEAM. That's healthnetics.com. We start Dateline. Monster hail. We gave you the story of what they thought was record-breaking hail in Argentina or something like that. It was just a mammoth chunk of ice. In Arkansas today, this is the kind of hail that came down literally the size of baseballs. Listen to that. That's incredible. And they show the video out the window of these giant hailstones the size of baseballs landing on the roof. Wow. We haven't had a good hailstorm here in D.C. in a while. That I can recall. I'm, I'm glad. We don't need to have the ones that sound like you're <laughs> filling up a bucket at the driving range either. What the bleep right. is that? That is crazy. So is it me, or are we seeing an increase? Maybe it's just the better news gathering, I suppose, that we're seeing an increase in this kind of stuff. There's more cameras, more All digital camera media. All back. Able to, sh- able to share this stuff better. I mean, between hail this size, murder hornets pandemics and other craziness you drunk 2020 go home go to bed dateline the mother of all fake news this is one of the cruelest things i've ever seen the baltimore sun recently ran a little game called spot the difference in the picture it was in their sunday april 26th editions it's like oh i'm gonna scan it i've got an eagle eye oh look that hair is actually over her ear and this one, and it's not on the other. People love that game. The Baltimore Sun had to run a correction saying, 
We apologize to readers that the image is in the spot the difference feature. We're actually the same image and not in fact different. No. The Baltimore Sun regrets the error. Sorry. I spent all day in quarantine looking for a difference and I couldn't find one, you sons of bitches. That has now spawned a army of memes based on that. You are nodding your head like you have seen this story, right? Yes. <laughs> the The story apparently is, Abe, it was a kid's version, so it wasn't the worst thing in the world. That's what a friend had told me, that it was two really easy ones, and it wasn't like, because the Washington Post magazine does these puzzles every Sunday, and they'll have, you know, real-life pictures from real-life people of the marina at the Annap- at you know the Annapolis Harbor. And you're right. like, wow, am I looking for a sail? Am I looking for a person? This was just a kid's version of a side-by-side puzzle. A little yeah. easier. I'm looking at one here. Uh, people are joking. Uh, somebody tweeted a picture, and it looks like the exact same quarterback pose of Brock Osweiler with the Broncos and Justin Herbert with the Oregon Ducks. Yes, they're standing in the exact same pose. Your typical, about I'm about to throw it quarterback pose, but one's a Denver Bronco and the other one's Justin Herbert. Spot the differences. Uh, file this one under Mazel Mazel. Good things, I suppose. Dog the Bounty Hunter, Scott, is engaged. Mazel Mazel. Good things. Just 10 months after his first love and bride, Beth, died of cancer. The new Dog the Bounty Hunter girlfriend is uh, sort of similar looking. I guess he's got a type. But, yeah, his new girlfriend, Francie Frayne. And they're looking forward to a long life together. Uh, Beth luck. Chapman uh, died of cancer 10 months ago. Very tearful. They chronicled it. And, uh, yeah. Is Dog the Bounty Hunter still on TV? No idea. Good question. And then what do you think of Nick Cage playing Joe Exotic? You were down. We couldn't get your hookup back working again. But uh, any yeah, thoughts on that? No. I, I have no, I not no good? part of this. No, not not the right choice there. Okay. I don't think. Isn't it so. funny how how Tiger King was so early pandemic, was so early quarantine? I feels feel like, like a like different day and age. Amen. I'm brother. thankful for that. Yes. Right, coming up, hour number three of the program, and we're going to talk to where did I put my notes. Well, we got more stuff to come here. Sorry about this temporary discombobulation. Hour three of the Steve Zabin Show straight ahead.